Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. Guys, welcome back to the Agent Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella. I've got a guest on today, Colton Lindsay. Colton, what's going on? What's up, my man? Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we were chatting a little bit before we got started, but you know, really, we didn't get much into your background and even, you know, go into like, you know, where you're from and how long you've been in business for and all that good stuff. And um, you know, I kind of told you the premise of the show, but like, why don't we start from like you know, day one of, of real estate? Like, how'd you get into real estate? When did you get in and all that good stuff? Sure, man. So I got started in 2005 with actual license as a realtor. Uh, when I was a kid, my mom was a secretary for a local real estate brokerage. So I'd go around the office, see agents. And I remember one dude, I think I was in the eighth grade. I don't remember what year that was, probably in, uh, I don't know, 97 or something like that right i was a 90s kid and he was driving you remember the original red hummers back in the day he was driving yeah. those red hummers and i thought dude this guy's got a red hummer to me it felt like money obviously i'd never that was, that was like the year those were the years too where like everybody wanted those right in the thousands yeah like i look back and i would never ever own a red hummer now but to me it represented something more that was possible. You know, my dad worked for, uh, it's called Dominion Gas. It's a natural gas company. He was there 40 something years. My mom was a secretary for 43 years. And so, you know, I grew up not, um, not rich, but not broke. Like we were definitely working class. We, you know, I had my N64 and stuff, but the idea of building wealth didn't, didn't click growing up. So when I saw that red Hummer, it said like, wait a second, like there's something about real estate. So I was probably in the eighth grade. I did a, like a report on being a realtor in school. And so as uh, soon as I was uh, old enough, I went on a Mormon mission and came home as soon as I was old, like got home, I got licensed in 2005. And um, that's how I got into it. I felt miserable. Yeah. Yeah. For 10 months, I sold two houses and it was just, I didn't know what I was doing. So it's funny though, like the motivation, like ended up being, being a vehicle. So you got in, like, obviously you had been exposed to the business because, because of your mom. And then you, you saw that. So like, what were your first like couple of years? Like, and I guess even when you were getting in and you were seeing that red Hummer, right? Like, were you thinking being an agent? Were you thinking about being an investor or you just had no idea? You were just like, real no idea, like really probably more of an agent because I didn't know investing exists. Like, yeah. so to give you an idea, my first listing appointment, because I, I went to Brazil on my mission and learned Portuguese. And part of one of the towns I was in, it was called Quaraí, was on the border of Uruguay. So I learned what is called Portanho, which is a mix between Portuguese and Spanish. So when I got home, the only thing I, I there was this one agent there's like closing a deal a day. And I was, so I called his assistant because I knew her and I was like, dude, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, how's he closing a deal a day? And they said that they were calling Fizbo's and expires. So I just started calling Fizbo's and expires and I got this expired seller that spoke Spanish and I just could spit out. He had been there to a casa. And they said, see, so I went over and did a listing appointment and I was, my Spanish was horrible because I was better at Portuguese and I was translating through their 14 year old daughter. And they're like, all right, let's do it. And I was great. Let's do it. And I said, we got to list it for $75,000. And they're like, well, we owe $110,000. And I was like, what do you mean you owe $110,000? 
They're like, no, we owe the bank hundred ten thousand. I'm like, what do you mean you owe a bank hundred? I didn't even realize that people could owe more on the house than it's worth to a bank. Like that didn't. What, what year was that? That would have been two thousand six, probably. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's crazy because that's literally almost my exact same story for like my first listing too, and my first listing was two thousand seven. And it was the same thing. I didn't realize either. And I'm like, I got to, I actually signed up the listing and then they told me what they owed. And I'm like, what do I, I have no idea what I do. So what did you do? So, I mean, I just didn't know what to do. So I said, okay, well, I can't sell your house. <laughs> so I left. Um, and then I called this other guy that spoke Spanish and asked him to go back over with me. And we did. And then he told them they got to do a short sale. So that was the first time I heard about a short sale. Yep. Anyways, that deal didn't come together, but that was like my first experience. Um, and then I went forward and then 2000, I, I think I started my own spec home in 2007 because that was a great idea, right? It made sense. Everyone was doing it. It was booming. Everyone's making money. And then the market took a shit. And so now I'm 350 in this house and it's worth 260, 60, 270 at best. I think I sold it for 270, which I got lucky with that because the bank went out of business during the middle of it. I did a one-time close and they were just writing off their books. So they never actually foreclosed on me. They just sold it for what it was. and was trying to get rid of assets before they went under. Yep. So it was a really, really cool time. But then, then the market took a, a, a turn and all I knew to do was keep prospecting and calling. And I saw all these rich agents just dropping like flies because they lost everything. Mm -hmm. And I kept calling people and I'd heard about this short sale. So then I started working short sales and I think I was have I had like 30 short sale listings at a time. And I just then instead of me trying to work them, I found a dude that was good with the banks. And so I paid him a referral fee on them. And I just kept getting short sale listings. And just that's how I really built my career. Um, till that we moved through that. And then I moved to a lot of referrals and started investing in obviously that short sale. Or I mean that spec home. That was my first investment, which I still made money on, by the way. So uh I made a commission when I sold it which was, I don't know, I think 10 grand or something. But then because I had a certificate of occupancy on it, um, but I didn't have an actual close. I didn't have payments. I never had to make a payment on that house, but I sold it on a lease option. I took like 10 grand down and then I was leasing it for 2,500 a month for about four months. And then they defaulted. So I kicked them out. And then that's exactly when I sold it with the bank. So I think I made like 20 grand on the deal anyways still doing it so well that, that's why like i you know i've had a bunch of people on and we have a new person on every week and like most people who come on have been in real estate for at, at least like one cycle and like me and you got in at basically the exact same time buy or do something in the high market the market shifts and almost always the end the end outcome of that story is the same as you just said but i still ended up making money on the deal or like it was such a good learning lesson. Like it ended up kind of like catapulting like my career, but um, lease option something we don't almost ever talk about. I haven't heard too many people, uh, at least on this show, do it. So you, you had a, a monthly mortgage payment of what? Do you know or remember? I never actually had a, a mortgage payment. So I have no idea what it would have been. Truthfully. Oh, so, so what was the reason that they, that you had no payment? Like why were so, they? So it was a company called CTX mortgage and we did a, I did a one-time construction close. So they they were, they would fund the construction. And then once the construction was done, 
they'd fund the long-term financing. So it was a one-time close. But from the time I started construction to the time we could close for permanent fi- or to change it to permanent financing, they were going out of business. And so they're like, we're not going to fund this long-term. They couldn't, it was stuck in this weird limbo with them. And so they just said, Hey, we got to get this off our books, sell it for what you can. They did end up sending me a 1099 for the difference. That was the only thing that they did, yeah. but they never, never report on my credit, never sent it as like a default or a short sell or anything. And they just let me sell some dude for what market value was paid me a commission on my end, a 6% commission. So I double ended it and um, went on my way. So, so did that deal make you want to do more investing or less or like how did it kind of impact your, I guess, investing psyche? Well, I mean, obviously around that time I had read Robert Kiyosaki's book, right? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, and that was when I became aware more that there's speculation investing, which that was that. And then there was cash flow, passive revenue, which I don't believe in passive income. I think it's all leverage residual, you know, take some attention. But then I, shortly after that, I bought my, bought my first rental property with the stated stated. You remember those loans where you could like no income, no, no like proof of anything. And yep. they, they fully finance, finance me. And I actually got paid, I think. I bought that deal for like 50 grand. Um, and then they paid, a, I got a commission on it as well. So I think I made like two grand or something on the deal. But I basically got paid two grand to buy that property, which I still own today. And now it's worth 175 grand. Um, my, only, my only regret is I didn't buy more of those. I think I bought five of them in the next, between then and the next handful of years. And I averaged $42,000 a deal on those. And they're all worth 175 grand a, day, a deal today on those specific deals. Um, but yeah, as, as I got into it, and I realized too, and as I started building up, as the values went up, and I realized, wait a second, doesn't make sense to own these free and clear? Because that's what I was doing. I was buying them cash too, because I thought it made sense. You know, Dave Ramsey, financial peace, bullshit or whatever. And then I realized, wait a second, if I can be smart with leveraging these and getting commercial finance on them, then I could parlay that money into more deals. And that's what I just started doing. I just... I started finding deals that made sense for me to own. And then the rest, I would get under contract at good deals. And um, I'm, I'm I flipped a few of them, but I realized I hated managing the crew. So then what I started doing is I just started, I found a really big wholesaler and I just started throwing them to his investors. And so I just split a deal with fee with him and then throw them to there. If I want to keep them, I keep them, rehab them, rent them. If I didn't, then I send them to him and then just make 15, 20 grand on the deal and move to something else. So how are you, um, I, you know, you're talking about processing a lot of deals really and getting these opportunities coming to you. Like, how are you finding them? So I read a, a book, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, amazing book with one of my mentors. Uh, his name is T. Harbecker. And he says, what you do, Colton, is you add so much freaking value to people's lives. When they come to you, you monetize it. Yep. So what I've done is I've just freaking got out there and networked and stayed in front of many people, added value. And then when there's an opportunity there, I make money on it. So I do that in real estate investing. I do that in real estate traditional deals. I do that in, you know, being part of real brokerage now. Um, I do that in my real estate academy. You know, I got my mastermind where people pay 12 grand a year to be in that. I've got some smaller coaching video, right? So what I do is I just get out there, add value, and the deals find me. Mm-hmm. And I stopped looking at a deal as an investment deal uh, for real estate only. And I started looking at a deal as, a, as an investment deal. And how can I make money on putting a deal together, getting some sort of agreement together? So deals to me are about agreements. Mm-hmm. 
So your your whole marketing strategy is really, I mean, not much different from a traditional agent, which is just like build your database, right? Yep. So by providing value, so what are some of the the actual things that you are doing just so that people that, you know, are kind of like listening to this, like what are some examples of the ways you were going out there providing value? And I guess essentially like attracting people to want to talk to you about real estate. Well, so first of all, the first thing was me is I, I learned a simple four-step sales process and um, I learned it by mistake being a Mormon missionary, but the first thing is contact. So I realized either people are contacting me, which in the early stages, I didn't have a lot of people just calling me, right? They had no reason to. Yep. Um, or I had to contact people. That was the second thing. But the second step was um, I used to call it contactitis because I would like have all these contacts and no results. And so I realized it wasn't just contacts. The second step, which is even more important, was meaningful conversations. I needed to have a conversations full of sustenance, like something of value where we had some sort of connection. So I, I made a focus like, hey, if I can have 30 meaningful conversations a day, like that was my target yep. and then something come out of it. And so it wasn't 30 contacts, it was 30 meaningful conversations. And I started measuring that. And then the third step for me was simple. It was like, okay, next was to set up an appointment with these people. And when I set up an appointment in the early days, it was like, Hey, either a buyer appointment or a listing appointment. Cause that's all I really knew about like a buyer or seller. But then as things progressed, I realized, wait a second, I could solicit a referral from this, this face meeting. I could, find a, a deal to buy, right? Like, so that was the third step. And I still focus on this today. I set appointments. And then the fourth step is to give a presentation and get some sort of agreement in place. You know, in the early days, it was a buyer-seller contract. Then it stopped and then it turned into a purchase contract or it turned into an assignment deal or it turned into hiring someone in my organization. Like I just kept yep. snowballing, snowballing that. And then I, I got to a stage where I got stuck because like I would, have these tasks and then I'd add new tasks onto my plate and I felt like I was overloaded. And then I had a friend say to me who was extremely successful in insurance. He says, dude, when you take on a new thing, you got to ask yourself, what are you not going to do anymore? Mm -hmm. And that was when I really started to accelerate. So I started making a list of all the things I wasn't going to do anymore because they weren't going to get me to where I was going. And I started just hiring someone to do those things for me. It was like, even today, like, I don't remember the last time I showed a house, gone on a listing appointment. Um, you know what I mean? I don't even go on my acquisition appointments anymore. Like I've got, that's all leveraged out. My whole job now is to just be in the public's eye, be communicating with my top 40 relationships, my core 100 relationships, be in front of people. And then people come to me because of the value that I add. They see what I've built. And then what I do is I might have a quick conversation with them and then I just filter them to where they need to go meet with my, my team. So one thing that you, you said that kind of stuck with me because we hear it all the time in real estate, which is like, Hey, call X amount of people. Yep. And you know, you talked about, you called it contactitis, right? Like, you know, you have a million people that you're either talking to, but then one distinction you put there is a meaningful conversation. So for people that are like newer to real estate, or maybe they've, you know, been in real estate, but they don't know what that means. Like for you, what do you define as like a meaningful conversation? Those third right. meaningful, like what does it mean to you? So in, in the early days, a meaningful conversation was where I could talk to another human being. I could hear something in their life or in their world that I could then add something value to that conversation. And it wasn't always about real estate. I used to think it had to be about real estate. In fact, that burned me 
for a while because I was so focused on getting a deal. I was less focused on just building a relationship with a human being and seeing what was going on in their world. When I started getting into their world, that's to me what it was about. Like, even right now, I look at this as a meaningful conversation. I'm getting into your world. I'm getting stoked. Like, I love talking about this stuff. It's going to go out to your followers, your downloads. I don't know how many people you got on your podcast, but even if it's one person hears this conversation, I'm having a meaningful conversation with that individual because it's impacting lives. So when I talk about meaningful, it's like, can I impact their lives that they had some bit of emotional or energy in motion that then they anchored to like, hey, this guy's got something that I want to be a part of. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. And that's what, you know, that's what value is all about. Like, it's like, okay, you know, if Colton's calling me, is it going to be something where I look at it like, ah, oh, like I don't want to pick up his call or oh, I'm excited to talk to him because every time I talk to him, I'm, you know, not really getting something, but like in a way getting something right. Whether it's like, you know, you providing, you know, value in a monetary way or some other social way. Right. Um, so one thing I didn't hear you say. Real quick on that. So I remember I had this one guy that I'd always call in my book of business. And every time I call for, for the longest time, he'd say, nope, I'm not looking to sell my house. I don't know anyone thinking to sell. Like he'd answer before I even asked because I was so scripted on asking for referrals and business, right? Yep. Which got me to a point where at least I was having conversation. But then I remember one day he said, hey, Colton, listen, I'm not looking to buy or sell right now. I was like, okay, cool. No. And then it just hit me. I was like, okay, cool. I'm not even actually calling for that. He's like, what are you calling for? I was like, well, I was actually calling to give you an invitation. And he's like, what do you mean an invitation? I was like, you know what? Like I've been talking to you for years now and I've never even actually gone to lunch with you. I just want to invite you to lunch. And I took the dude to lunch, kind of flipped it like in the moment and he loved it. And then I started calling people with invitations and the invitation I would give them was to come to my next party that I was doing or my next event. And so yep. we was doing roller skating or, the, the black guy on farms, corn maze or dinosaur park, whatever. So I yep. switched it to start calling for invitations. I love it. So one thing I didn't hear you say, and it, you know, we haven't even gone into like all the stuff that you've really done on the agent or investor side. But one thing I haven't heard you say yet is that you spent money on marketing. And um, I don't know if you've ever gone in that direction or if you've done everything just the way you just mentioned it, but I'm curious to see if you've done any of that because um one thing that I always hear with, with people getting into investing is like, I need money. I need money to get deals. And I'm like a prime example. Like I spend a ton of money on seller-based marketing and we do really well with it. But, but, but some people don't have those means. So like, have you ever done really any sort of like cold marketing, whether it's like mailers or Facebook or pay-per-click or anything like that? Um, and if not, like, um, like how, how does it fit into your business or what's your opinion on it for you? Great question. So how I define it is marketing is different than advertising. So to me, advertising is where I spend time, effort, energy, and money into a cold audience. And marketing is where I spend time, effort, energy, and money into my warm audience. So I really double down on my warm audience first. I've never done like Zillow leads or something like that, or like, you know, those pay type of things like that. I did for a small stint do home value leads and that was really productive until some things shifted locally in our market. That would be more of an advertising. But what, I, what I've always done is I've really worked my book of business the most. I've been really relationships. Um, yeah. we, we do some different things with property acquisitions that is more cold marketing, but it's not even paper play because we basically just have a, our virtual assistants calling people asking if they will sell us their house. Yep. And, and so it's a form of advertising for sure. It's just a little bit different style. Um, 
No, I, I love it. I love it because I think like, again, there's so many people who, who get into real estate that don't have a big budget and they think they might need one. Like they see somebody else doing Zillow or doing mailers or doing all this other stuff. They think they need to have it, but it sounds like, it sounds like even the stuff that you've done is like a, such a small part of your business, right? Sure. Like you can I mean, cutting in and probably wouldn't even matter. Right. For sure. Well, we've, and we've added to that as we go, but like depending on who's listening to this conversation, if you're, to me, if you're making less than 200 grand a year, you don't need to spend any money on marketing the advertising way to a cold audience. I would highly recommend you're spending that money though on the circle of influence that you have on your network, on your past clients, on giving your customers an amazing freaking experience. Because it's not about service, it's about experience, right? And when people have that experience, they'll send you referrals. And once you've got that really dialed in, we can scale to probably, I don't know, 350, 500,000 a year, then start to bring in the advertising. But even, even until you've really dialed in your leverage stage and your leadership, as far as with like, you know, technology assets and human assets and hiring and training your culture and values, I don't believe you really need to spend a ton on, on cold marketing um, or cold advertising. But with time, I think it makes sense because you can grow your network sooner. And then what we started moving into, which we found valuable was the step beyond the cold target was, okay, we bring them into our audience and they get familiar with this. But then we could start retargeting them and then we could start to bring them to our events. And then we could, so it was like a dance. Like we didn't get deals from them right away with our strategy. Not that you can't, but we would bring them into our fold. And it would get to the point where I'd go to the taco stand downtown and did I have some rando come up to me? He's like, Oh, Hey, here's a WGR. I'm like, yeah, what's up? And then, you know what I mean? I'd have a conversation with some person I never met or just the other day, like my ex-wife texted me and she's like, Hey, someone, a student in my class has, WGR water bottle here. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I have no idea who that, you know what I mean? Our stuff just ended up with getting out there with time. Like even I was at a, a theme once in Vegas. I don't remember where I was at. Some dude just on the strip came up to me. He's like, dude, it's cold. And WGR, can I have a picture with you? Right. Like just some random thing like that. But it's, that's how you grow it is you, you make people part of your, your tribe, your group, your network. I like to call it my community. And then you just find ways to add value to them. Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. So tell us about WGR. So 2000, uh, I don't think it was 2012, I was really cranking Fizbo's at the time and I would call for sell my owners. I'd be like, hey, it's Colton Lindsay, the world's greatest realtor. That's how I introduced myself. And then I got my website, theworldsgreatestrealtor.com and um, doing awesome. Anyways, when you get kind of young and aggressive and arrogant, which I was definitely arrogant earlier in my career, you, you piss some people off. And so people started kind of getting on my case and someone turned me into NAR and they sent a cease and desist because I didn't know this, but it's code of ethics violation to use realtor in a general terms. Like if you use your neighborhood realtor or Utah's best realtor or the world's greatest realtor, I found out like it's actually a code of code of ethics violation. You can't use it in a general term like that. Mm-hmm. And so I got the cease and desist and I was like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? So I looked up the WGR.com and someone owned that at the time. And it was, they wanted like 800 bucks for it. I was like, oh, fuck that. I ain't going to pay that money for it. So I put the hyphen WGR.com and I started branding everything to WGR, which didn't make sense at all. But it just kind of stuck like as a flag, as like a symbol. And everyone kind of covertly understands 
that knows my story knows it stands for the WGR or the world's greatest realtor. And then I had a uh, client, I put a thing out on Facebook years ago. Hey, how's my marketing? And one of my clients said, Hey, your marketing is on point. Everyone knows you, but your, your look, your logo, your brand is old and nasty basically. So then I paid her a bunch of money and we redid the, the look and the image, which we still got today, which is still pretty modern and, and cool. And that's kind of how it developed. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things that we always talk about, you know, on this show is like, you know, every agent should invest in, in real estate in some way. And a lot of people like think it's like two different things. And one of the things that I want to go back to that you said early on was essentially like, how do you monetize like essentially a, you know, a lead that comes into your world? So tell us about like how that works. So somebody wants to sell their house, they come through your network that you've built up and they're, they want to sell. So like, what's your process for incorporating that into investing in agent? So now, right? Like here's how I measure my business. Cause to grow a business, we, we want to be sure that we're growing annual revenue. Number one, financial freedom number two and being full of joy number three now when we do this we have to have a standard and the way we increase revenue into our standards is we first measure how many clients can we get we need to get more like the answer is always more clients but the second way i measure it is through transaction value how can i increase what i get paid per customer is the way i look at it so if it's a real estate deal how can i can increase what i make on that real estate transaction and then the third is, how can I, if you're in real estate, how can I generate more referrals? But in business in general, it's like, how can I get that customer to be a repeat customer and buy multiple times from me? So we look at the real estate deal in the early days when I first started tracking. So write this down if you're listening to it, is track your freaking numbers, track your metrics. I hate it till this day. It's like a pain in my ass, but I, it's numbers love me and I love my numbers. That's how I look at it. So I started measuring and when I first started measuring, I was only making $4,500 a deal. And I was like, this is just not acceptable, right? Like I'm doing a lot of work. I'm only getting 4,500 bucks. Yep. And then, so I started traditionally pushing it up how I think traditionally realtors look at it was like, oh, I got to do work with bigger clients. Yep. I swear, yeah. everybody wants the high price point. Everybody. Right. Well, I want to sell million dollar homes. And then, but I live with her, especially in that time frame. there was hardly any million dollar home. There's way more now than back then. Yep. But then I said, well, what if I just start charging them more? So I started just charging people more yep. and I just started increasing my commission. And then I started thinking, well, well what if I just paid a two and a half percent BAC instead of three? And everyone told me I couldn't do it, but I started doing it. And so then I started keeping four and a half, five and a half percent per deal. And then I say, well, what if I started charging this processing fee? Because now I got team members that they're not just getting me, they're getting my whole organization. So I started charging a thousand bucks for my processing fee. So I started figuring out ways to do it. And then I had come across this FISBO that was listed for like 130 grand. And I had just sold the neighbor's house like three doors down for 175 grand. Like I knew the numbers. And I was like, dude, I could sell that house. You could pay me a commission. I'll still put more money in your pocket. And the dude was like, no, you can't. Nope, I'm not going to do it. But I was like, okay, will you sell it to me? And he's like, yeah, 130 grand. I'm like, boom. I literally went to his house, wrote it under contract for $130,000. And then two hours later, I sold the contract to another investor for $155,000. So I made way more than my commission. And that was when it hit me was like, wait a second, dude. Like you just ripped 25 grand on this deal. 
that pushed your, your average transaction volume value up. And yeah. that's when I started like, okay, I gotta, I gotta really consciously find more of these deals. And that's why I just started looking for them. So I'd always, I would just always ask people ahead of time, Hey, would you sell it to me if we can make the numbers work? And they're like, yeah. And I say, just so you know, like I'd be really upfront, like just so you know, I'm buying it as an investor. So I got to buy it on a margin and I got to be able to make money on it. Here's my, I would break down my numbers where I had to be. And if they could do it, I would do it. If they couldn't, then I was like, Hey, no worries. Let's just list it. This, I actually think you'll make more money if you got the time, you know, I, mean? I was just really candid with people mm-hmm. and the people that were in a pinch and that were in a hurry and that was a better need. We did it. And the people that weren't, we didn't. And, and then it got to the point where I just couldn't work with everyone. So I started okay, I leveraged out my listings and my buyers to this person. I leveraged out my acquisition to this person. I taught them the formulas and then they would check with me. I'd kind of underwrite the deal and here we are today. Yeah, exactly. And and that, that part too is like, you know, I look at like, we do something similar. Like, you know, we look at every, you know, seller and there's like, you know, two ways that the person can sell their house and they can sell their house to us. They can have an easy process they're going to make a little bit less, but um, they're going to get all these benefits. And if they want all those benefits, then taking a little bit less might make sense for them. Right. But if not, you know, they can go through the traditional process, get the most amount of money. Maybe there's some hassle along the way, but if getting the most amount of money is the most important thing. But I love, I love the um, getting your transact, your dollar amount up. Because like, you know, going back to like two minutes ago, like everybody thinks like, okay, the only way for me to get my transaction number up is to like, oh, let me sell, you know, a million dollar home. Let me sell a $2 million home. And there's so few and far between of those. It's not that you can't do it. That in most markets, in most markets, they're few and far between, right? Yeah. Well, even in the markets, I mean, I'm in a pretty high price market and, you know, probably the average purchase price is like five to 600 where I'm at. There's, there's a bunch of million dollar homes, but like. Which is still awesome today. A $30,000, $40,000 rip on a deal is pretty cool. Back in, in the early days, think about when you were first getting into the business before two, before 2017, that shit didn't exist. 2015, that didn't exist. You know yeah, what I mean? We were, we were probably in the threes and, and it's market specific. Like, you know, typically in the, the markets where they have more million dollar homes, you know, you got to live in a million dollar home. So you, your expenses are higher. So it's all kind of like relative, but, but, um, but yeah. And I, so I love the fact that, that you kind of like identified that, saw that you could get your caught, you know, your, your deal um, amount up and then kind of leveraged it out. So um, do you have like a, like a team? I know you, you, you had a brokerage of 50 people, um, do you have like a team as of right now? Like, how do you function? I've got about 14 people on my core team. Yep. Um, right now I've got about hundred and I got about 50, 55 and I consider them my team, but they're really my clients and mastermind partner. They're about 55 people in my mastermind. And then I got uh, about 150 people in my other coaching program. And then I got 330 people in my, my downline, uh, with real brokerage. And so, yeah, I mean, I got a pretty big organization as far as leading people that I get a paid somehow some way with but my core team's at 14 right now and that's that's like that's who runs the core of my operation so what's the objective for you like are you looking specifically to like i i know you want to make money but like are you looking to add like you know a certain amount of like rental units are you looking to do so many assignment deals like what's your what's your focus there truthfully i don't measure that anymore like i make so much money now that money's not even 
like, yeah, I want to make more. Who doesn't? I think I've got two major focuses with money right now. One is I just want to own a private jet share just so I can fly private and not have to deal with commercial and the COVID bullshit that's going on today. But um, the other is, is I want to, I want to contribute more financially back to specific causes. Like to me, I look at even in my own state, one out of eight kids go hungry right now. And so like, that's a big thing to me. I'm a really big fan of operation Underground railroad and sex trafficking, like getting that. So I find ways to contribute, but the thing I'm most passionate about right now is, is, is time freedom so that I can give my gifts. And one of those right now is um, doing breath work with young men. So like, I like to go to like high schools with lacrosse uh, teams or baseball teams or whatever, and just do breath work for these young men. And I think that's where a lot of my focus and energy goes right there now um and then keep building systems so that i can do more of that and mm-hmm. have epic experiences i don't really focus on a number of assignment deals or wholesale deals we, my team has goals but that's not my focus mm-hmm. so um i guess what would you say like to agents who you know want to you know they read the, the book rich dad poor dad like you did like i did when i first started and you know, it kind of motivated them and like they haven't started investing in real estate. Like what's the biggest piece of advice you could give to them? Proximity. Surround yourself with people that are doing what you want to do and have the physical results that you want in your life and follow what they're doing. Like proximity is the biggest power we have. And by that, do you mean in market, out of market, doesn't matter? Like Either or. Like I'm sure you probably recognize this. Like you got to the point that I outgrew the way people were thinking and operating in my market. So I had to go outside of my market. Yeah. Now, in the early stages, you could really you could find those people, but don't don't stay with them because you'll more than likely if you're really thirsty for more, like you're here to like, hey, listen, I'm going to die one day between now and then I'm going to maximize this opportunity. Then you're going to you got to go seek those people in other places and don't be afraid to pay for it. Right. Like, I mean, I pay 120 grand a year right now to be in Tony Robbins mastermind and I freaking love every penny of it because of the, the way I think and the way I learn and the things it opens me up to. So get proximity around. If you want to do real estate investing, where you can get proximity in the early days is literally go say, Hey, I'll work for free for, for you. Right? Like if someone's in your marketplace, say literally I'll work for free for you. That's what I would do in the early stages. Yep. And then after that, like find some masterminds, you get a little, get a little money in the bank, learn to manage your cash flow, invest 10 to 20% into investing and then invest 10% into your education and then start surrounding yourself with the environment of, of opening up to these new opportunities. So proximity is power in my opinion. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm in multiple coaching programs right now, mastermind groups. Like um, I don't know that I'm up to a hundred and something a year, but like probably close to a hundred. And that, that number obviously is like, not a number that somebody's going to start out with. I, I remember my first ever coaching program. It was a rich dad coaching program. It was in 2006. It was 7,500 bucks. Me and two of my closest friends split it. I remember $2,500. And I'll never forget like how nervous I was. I was probably whatever it was. Let me think about this. 23 and uh, cutting that check would be like, you know, now, like, I mean, I would need, no matter what the check is now, I wouldn't even be as nervous as cutting that $2,500 check back then. So, so, um, but yeah, like I, I've never, like, I've never been in a coaching program that I didn't get a ton out of. I know that not all of them are kind of created equal, but like you said, I think you got to find 
who you kind of want to be like and get around them in whatever way that you can. If it costs you money and you're able to put up the money, you know, do it if you can. Well, it's funny you bring that up. One of my very first coaching programs I joined, I think it was 22, 7,500 bucks as well. Um, and I didn't have the money, but I had three credit cards. So I went with it. But the thing that, that hit me, it was, you might've heard of the guy. He's, he's got wake up warrior. His name is Garrett white. And, um, he was working with a guy named Garrett Gunnarsson at the time. And they called it financial freedom fast track. And that was, they actually introduced me to, to Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. And when I heard the, 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 their definition of financial freedom was your, your passive, they call it passive income. I call it leverage residual now, but your passive income pays for your desired lifestyle. And, and then I heard this other speaker from T.R. Ecker. He said, average people go on vacation for a week. Wealthy people go on vacation for a season. I was yeah. like, fuck, I want that. <laughs> yeah. And so I remember I just like, they're obviously going to teach it to me. I didn't understand at that time that when I gave them the money, that I needed to be patient and do the work and it wasn't going to happen overnight. I mean, it probably took me for me, it probably took me 10 years. I was probably 31 or 32 before I became actually financially free. But well, I, think, realized- I, think, I think that's like, I, I think that's the saying though. Like, I think it's the saying, literally, I'm going to miss up, you know, the quote, but it's like live 10 years, like no one's willing to, so you can live, live your, the rest of your life. Like nobody else can. Cause it takes, it, it doesn't take two years. It doesn't take, there's no way possible unless like, even if you have the capital, I can't, I can't think of a two or three year way to do it because you need a lot of things. You need capital, you need hustle, you need like time to make mistakes. Like experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a 10 year. It's definitely, I mean, maybe someone is really damn good and they, they do it in seven and, you know, maybe, you know, you take a little bit longer and it takes you 12 or 13 or 14, but like, it doesn't, I'll tell you what, it doesn't take till I'm 60 though. Like we, no, 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 it does not take that long. No, and it doesn't, even if you follow that traditional route, I don't even call it traditional. I call it freaking ancient. Now, if you follow that ancient strategy, you'll be broke with the way inflation's coming. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think you could do, I think you could do it hustling depending on like, not your ideal life, but really become free of the rat race in, in three to five, but to live the life that you want to live, you could do it in seven to 12 and to yeah. just be extraordinary. I think you can do it 15 from my experience. Um, yeah. but I'm 16 years into this journey now. And I, I like, I make more in a month than my mom made in 20 years. Like what the fuck? Like that wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. And cause I shifted my thinking, my blueprint, and I started getting around people that were doing it. And I learned a different strategy that my parents, I love them, but they couldn't teach me because they didn't know. They didn't know what they didn't know. My church didn't know. My community didn't know. And I, But I think that goes back to getting around the people because most of us, I mean, myself included, not everyone fits into this bucket, but like you typically, you know, are, are surrounded by people who don't have this mindset. They yep. don't have the growth oriented, like, you know, how do you figure this stuff out? And it's, it's easy to get trapped in that. Yeah. And you go outside that and then you're around. I mean, they say you're the average of the five people that you spend the most amount of time with. When you start to get outside of the bubble and the five people that you spend time with are doing, you know, bigger things. And we're talking, you know, pretty much financial, but of course it goes further stuff too. Well, um, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things where I hit a, I hit a wall at one stage in my career 
like I was making a ton of money, but I was unhappy. And I was like, I mean, it was to the point I was drive up to appointments and I would be smoking a joint on the drive there. Like yeah. that's, that's, you know, my taking shots of vodka in the middle of the day. Like that's where I was at. Yeah. And there's a difference. I want to be clear on this of the science of achievement that a lot of people are after that come to a program like this or a podcast like this and they're in the art of fulfillment and really feeling just deep joy and peace which you got to have, like our, our, Tony always tells us this, like your greatest failure is success without fulfillment. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of high achievers, they get stuck is they think if I get to that next number, that next thing, that next deal, that next target, then I can get rid of my problems or I'll be happier or I'll be this or I'll be that. And the reality is it actually buries them problems deeper in you to where it will explode on you one day, or at the very least, you're just living an unhappy life. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, I want to definitely thank you for, for coming on today. Um, you know, tons of valuable information, so many good nuggets and all that. Um, what's the best way for our listeners like to learn more about you? Um, you know, if they want to. Right. So right now, I mean, a really great way is Instagram. Just look me up the WGR, uh, hit follow and send me a message to, Hey, I heard you on this podcast and I know you're at, uh, we got September 17th through 19th. I've got my summit, um, you can attend in person. I, we actually sold out in person, but we're open a few more tickets and we've got virtual tickets available to you can watch from anywhere in North America, in the world, really. Um, so we've got that, some amazing speakers coming on. We got some, uh, I got George Morris. He's the CEO of, of the number one producing Century 21 on the planet right now. Just a beast, man. Um, I've got Tamir Pollock, CEO of Real Brokerage, who just took his company public, which is an amazing company. I got Luke Wren. He's one of Tony Robbins' lead trainers for Life and Wealth Mastery speaking. We just got some cool freaking, it's going to be a great three-day event. So um, look it up on Instagram, the WGR links in there. Send me a message and get information on it. All right, cool. Well, again, thank you for, for coming on. And guys, we'll be live again next week with another episode of Agent Investor. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella. Thank you, Colton, again. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.